Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books and In Your Religions podcast, a podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. Uh, more importantly, today I get to speak with Michael Fiden, who is a PhD candidate um, at the University of Texas at Austin. We'll be speaking about a fantastic open access online educational resource that he's been working on. It pertains to the Valmiki Ramayana text that's near and dear to my heart uh, that hopefully we'll dive into a bit. Um, It's available online for students of uh, the Valmiki Ramayana, which is the most ancient Sanskrit uh, um, rendition of the text. The uh, URL is included in the podcast notes. Without further ado, uh, Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And, uh, you know, we get so many props on the podcast. It's nice to sometimes get voices of PhD uh, students and, and various people uh, beyond the academy. So maybe tell us a little bit about um, what you're working on or, or uh, right now in your program. Yeah, so uh, I'm a PhD candidate in uh, Asian Studies. Um, I passed my comprehensive exams, what was it now, a few months back. So now I'm just kind of starting to work on my dissertation. And my dissertation is on um, a large body of texts called the Girihya Sutras. They're domestic ritual manuals in Sanskrit um, that are very understudied. Uh, people don't really look at them very uh, in depth, at least. And more specifically, I'm looking at um, ancestor worship or shraddha in, in these texts and how it develops through the corpus. And um, more importantly, maybe, I am looking at the political and um, religious um, impetus behind the composition of, of the good history and help what they can tell us about what's going on behind the scenes um, culturally and socially. Fascinating. Now, if I'm not mistaken, it's not too much of a stress stretch to think that you might perhaps work with one uh, Don Davis and or Patrick Olifel, correct? Yes, correct. 
<laughs> They've both been guests of the podcast, both doing fascinating work. And uh, Don Davis was on to talk about the Dhammashastra online um, resource not too, too long ago. And um, and and Patrick Oliveville's uh, bot-like nature <laughs> in rendering such texts, which yeah. is incredible. I mean, we all know that he's a bit of a bot in terms of scholarly production, but apparently he's he just is a machine with this kind of work. It's being expanded all the like, very rapidly, and it's very useful to um to be able to get those texts into searchable formats. It's uh, it's a game changer. You know, I've got a file. I'm not even fully sure. I may have started using Gretel, or I might have even been silly enough to manually create one. I've got a file that Davy Mahatmya. That was a text that I dissertated on. It was a topic of the first and for the most part the second book as well. And uh, the Control F feature. <laughs> <laughs> it's like wow game changer you know it all really the is. epithets visually you can see visually at a glance okay where does a text call her umbika and boom you can see this concentrations it's it really is a game changer to be able to search texts is that the primary reason why texts are digitized um for my research it helps a whole lot I'm not sure it's the primary reason or not. It's just nice to have them in an easily accessible format, period. But in, in terms of scholarship, it makes it so much easier to search through Gretel, like you said, for any occurrences of certain strings of words that you're looking at. And then you can easily, to the wider context, it's right there. You don't got to look through an old book, you know, although there is merit to doing that. But I like having them all in one folder. <laughs> yeah, so how did you get volunteered for or suckered into doing this project what was that like well dr davis uh had the idea originally um to do an online resource based on this text um for second year sanskrit students and i was um doing a um we were that semester we were we were reading something together and then this was like a side project i was i was just doing uh, on the side to um i don't know kind of um just to help students and get my own and get my own skills and making a resource like this um, honed, you know, because it's not, it's definitely not, not an easy task. So what's that process like? Well, for tedious, tedious translations. I looked at um, other translations of each, of each, of each of the other verses. And I made, they're all, in the resource, they're all, they're all my translations. I give um, Robert Goldman's translation as well for a number of reasons, but I have my own translation as well. And then if I ever, if I deviate from Goldman, I have to make a little footnote. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's all very, uh, very detailed. Then I, to, then I send it away to get reviewed. Um, Dr. Joel Brereton, Dr. Davis, um, Dr. Olivelle all looked at it and they all had their own comments on my translations. I had to consider those. So it's like a back and forth kind of thing. And for every verse. So it was, uh, it was pretty time consuming. Listen, both by virtue of being a grad student and by virtue of deviating from Goldman, footnotes and copious footnotes are necessary. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, what, so, so when folks go to the site, what do they find? Well, first, um, it's just a page with the copyright information that Dr. Davis helped me make. Then after that, it's a, um, a big introduction that I wrote um, about how, the, how it should be used, what the best way it, can, it should be used, and uh, how it's laid out and how students can, eat, can, can easily use it. So the first, I'll get into this later maybe, but that's the, the introduction that tells you what the text is, how you use this resource, why, it's a, why, it's, why I picked the text I picked, and um, how to use a dictionary. I'm not assuming students um, know how to use Monia Williams online or anything like that. 
So is this resource geared towards students of Sanskrit, students of Valmikiramayana, or? Both. It's ideally, it's ideally um, aimed at second year Sanskrit students. And I, I can see it being used in two di different ways by them. So sometimes programs and schools don't have a dedicated um, class for Sanskrit or a Sanskrit professor or anything like that, but students get interested in a, maybe a religious studies setting, a set setting in Hinduism, something like this. And then they go off to do a, a year one Sanskrit summer class or something. And they come back and then now what do they do, right? Maybe the professor who knows Sanskrit doesn't have time to teach them or, X or ABC, you know what I mean? So this guide picks, picks up there and it says, look, if you want to do self-study, this will guide you step-by-step step through it. So you can hone your Sanskrit skills without needing a um, instructor per se. You can practice with this. It'll be, it'll be kind of like the instructor. And then second application would be being used by an instructor um, to supplement their own curriculum because um, to, to kind of use it as a secondary uh, learning tool or resource for their class. But then they would go through, the, 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 the instructor would go through with the students and add his own spin on it. How much of the Valmiki Ramayana do we find here? How much of it? It's a Sankshepa. So it, it's a Sankshepa Ramayana. So it's the condensed version that is given at the very beginning. And I chose that because, I don't know, it was always kind of frustrating to me when I was a Sanskrit student, or I still am a Sanskrit student, I always will be, but when I was beginning a Sanskrit student, it was always frustrating that I got snippets of text. I'm like, okay, I read 50 verses of this massive text. I never got a complete story. But the Sankshepa is a complete little story in the Ramayana, and the students can feel um, good after they've completed it, because I've read this little story in Sanskrit completely. It's done. It's a beginning, there's an end, you know? So I thought that would be... Um, a nice way to, to um, continue teaching after the first year. It is sort of nice to have um, a, a whole unit and maybe in particular a story. I'm, I'm a bit biased in that. I, I love stories and study stories and tell stories, but I vividly remember my very first uh, Sanskrit class with it was at the University of Toronto with uh, Libby Mills. And um, <laughs> I think after one semester of grammar, we, <laughs> we, we started tackling actual texts, but um, I remember vividly we, we were doing uh, the uh, Nelopakyana, the, the story of Nella. Uh, from the Mahabharata, if I'm not mistaken. To this day, it's like Asi Raja Nelonama Vira Sena Satobali. It's just like, you know, the, the, the once upon a time is just right there. <laughs> yeah, right. Nala, yeah, Nala is the, uh, the go to usually for second year. Yeah. Um, so this this uh, this synopsis. So just to contextualize a little bit, uh, the Valmiki Ramayana is a fairly large text. It is in English thought of as an epic text, pun intended, perhaps a class of text dealing with uh, with larger than life themes. It is the story of the uh, legendary warrior prince and avatar Vishnu Rama, the Ramayana, the goings of Rama, the happenings of Rama, the career of Rama. And interestingly enough, the text begins with this fascinating frame, which I think is so crucial for understanding the life of the text in transmission, where um, the first canto is the content of the bija, before they move on to sort of uh, the form and the, and the ethos and all that. And, um, and um, uh, Valmiki questions uh, Narada after, you know, the, the, the ideal person. 
right? Yep. And so who's the ideal person? <laughs> who's perfect in every way, guys? Oh, funny you should ask. There's this dude named Rama. And he literally, you know, we worry about spoiler alerts so much in our culture. And I think that's so bizarre because it's not how the story ends. We see we see certain stories over and over again, knowing how they end. We enjoy the journey. So so it's like, spoiler alert, he tells the whole story of Rama at the first canto. Yeah, right. I think I think that's a that's a that's a that's a trope with Indian literature. But it's beautiful that, because it's it's yeah. it's not it's not the ending that matters. It's how you get there. It's the journey. That's right. why when we know how something ends, we watch it over and over and over again because we enjoy the, the aesthetic or spiritual or literary journey that one goes on. Uh, and so, so just to contextualize for a, a larger audience, you're looking at those those first verses that summarize Rama's career that is the first chapter of the Valmiki Ramayana. And how many such verses are there? If I remember correctly, it's 79. And maybe okay, and then, plus or minus a few. Do you parse them all out? Do you... Yes. Or maybe so you could say first, what parsing is. So yeah, for, for, the, for the first, um, I divide my guide into two sections. So the first section, I completely dissolve all, um, all Sandhi for the students and I list the words and then I completely analyze grammatically each one. So I tell you everything about the word. And if it's weird, I do a footnote <laughs> and tell you uh, about that as well. So I, I do all, I parse everything and I, and I um, completely analyze every single word. Give you the, for the verbs, I give you everything, the, the, um, the root down to the, down to the very root for the nouns. Um, same, I, I give you number, gender, all that stuff. So the students won't have to um, won't have to struggle with that unless they want to not look at that first and try themselves and then go back to that. So for the first section, I give you everything, the students, everything they need and then make my own translation and show them Goldman's translation as well. So they can move between the two to see how um, I try to keep mine more literal and um, more literal than Goldman. So they can see um, the, the merits maybe of a literal translation a very literal translation that could follow the Sanskrit. It'll, it'll sound really weird in English, right? But that can follow Sanskrit more easily when I explicitly make it very literal. And then Goldman's, of course, much more, um, is not as literal, much more beautiful. So I, um, I, want to, I want the students to kind of see that how to move between different types of translations. And then they have their own translation as well, the students make. And then the second part, I still dissolve all Sandhi and um, give them each word but I do not give them any more details. And I link, I hyperlink each word to a site, which was, uh, this is a site that Dr. Gil Ben Harut of the University of South Florida um, made, Digital Roses, and it hosts, it, I, I have a, a scan of, the, of, the, um, of Manu Williams with his pages, and I link them to the appropriate page for each word. So they can look, oh, here is um, some noun. And then they'll, they'll see a page, find the noun themselves, you know, and then, and then if it recurs down uh, down the line in, in the text, I do not link them a second time. So I kind of assume a building knowledge, kind of like um, like Whitney does. And that's kind of how the text, how it's divided uh, for students. So first part, full parsing, full everything, meanings, everything. Second part, it's part more dictionary work. And I give them, before that starts, I give them an introduction on how to use Monet Williams, because I don't want, I don't assume they know how. So I say, oh, this is how the definitions are arranged. This is how you look up words, that kind of stuff. So uh, for those of you, many of you will 
probably catches references and some of you may not. So for those who study Sanskrit, particularly in um, the, at, uh, at the Academy, at Western Academy, uh, Moni Williams is this mammoth uh, comprehensive uh, Sanskrit English dictionary where one will look up a word and one will see this is how it was used in the Rig Veda. <laughs> this is how it was used, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the Upanishads and uh, uh, massive variations and connotations on how particular nouns or, or verbal roots are used. And indeed, that is a dictionary, unlike regular English dictionaries, which requires a handbook, a manual accompanying it to tell you how to use it. Um, is this resource the resource you wish you had in second year uh, Sanskrit training? I never had an official. Uh, so my path is a little weird. So yes, the answer is yes, uh, in short. But I never had an official second year Sanskrit um, class until I came to UT before I just did informal readings with professors. But yes, if I had this resource to supplement my learning, it would have been great. And that's part of the reason why I liked making it so much. Because I think it is going to be useful for students to use. And especially, uh, the, no one ever, I mean, the, to go back for a second, the Manuel Williams guide, I think is important that I put in there because it's so misleading if you just look at the different countries. It'll go uh, for a word set, well, let me see, uh, like Tantra, you know, you look it up and you see loom immediately and you go oh, yeah it's a loom of course later it's it's not a, really a loom right? it's a burden with a whole bunch of more meanings and I, and the students seem to know to look down and see the later attestations or whatever the text they're working on and i go over all that in that intro one of the things that's interesting about this resource is you know it's useful for those obviously studying the valmiki ramayana learning sanskrit um but it also by virtue of how you parse out you you dissolve the sandhi and sandhi is the the illusion that occurs naturally uh, naturally it occurs um um between words based on what your mouth would would typically want to do anyhow like in english you'll say uh it is and really you're not saying it is unless you're really mad at somebody <laughs> you say it is i d i s that's how it sounds and so in in Sanskrit, you would actually spell it, I-D-I-S, it is. Um, so you dissolve the sandhi and then you parse it out or you you sort of identify all the grammatical pieces and the case endings and um, the tenses, et cetera, et cetera. It seems that the process that you're using is useful for folks to, to have a look at and maybe tighten up or emulate in their own process. That makes sense. It's, you're laying out a methodology of how one arrives at the translation. Would you agree? Yes. And I think that's also a very important part of it. And that's, yes. So I, I, I think that second year, it's easy to jump from what you learn in first year to trying to do um, translations like um, Goldman or Patrick Olivelle do, right? But I think that it's taken for granted that, that you need to know everything about each word, right? And in order to, to really start to get to that level that they're at right so i think that that that, that it is it is a major aim to show them this is how you do it if you want to start to make your own translation of something you can't just jump in and say this word means this i'm gonna you know you have to know the case you have to know everything so i think that is exactly right can this resource be used 
you touched on this previously, but can it be used independently or do you think this sort of enterprise ought to be engaged with a teacher? I think that ideally it should be with a teacher. Just like um, you could read the Upanishads right by yourself, but it's ideally you have a teacher at that as well to tell you what's missing, tell you the different parts that it leaves out. So yes, ideally with a teacher, but I think very easily can be used by yourself if you are if you already have the first year stuff down. Well, not down, but you've learned the first year stuff. I think that this can pick up there and be used by students independently. I really I, that's what it's aimed at. Where do you go from here? Do you have other such projects in the work uh, in the works, either pertaining to um, Sanskrit study and or um, sort of online digital tools? Yeah, actually, I've thought about um, of not right now because I'm really uh, I'm kind of burdened or burdened down right now with my dissertation and some conference presentations and stuff. But in the future, I think I do want to expand on this because the the Velmik is Ramayana is one genre of Sanskrit literature, and, I, and the students. I want, there's a bunch of others I could do for second year students. Like, you know, this is epic Sanskrit. What, what about um, the Shastras? What about um, some Upanishad stuff? You know, and it's almost like different languages are moving in between, not just different genres. So I think that students would benefit to having the same kind of thing that I did with the Ramayana done for different genres of, and, and um, parts of the Sanskrit literary corpus which I think would be a great project in the future for me. I'm not going to do it right now, per se. And I, and I also want to put this guide in a more user-friendly format as well in the future. So I want it to be like um, a little more, uh, more pretty, if that makes sense. It's, it's just a very basic kind of layout Google Doc right now, but I'd love it to be more interactive. And that's going to involve putting it uh, putting into code. But I think uh, I could do that from what I've learned but it would be something for the future. Yeah, it's probably wise uh, to think of those fine additions and improvements as future projects, because right now <laughs> your primary project is this thing called your dissertation. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> which right. is the which is the sine qua non of a doctorate, and which can be so challenging and overwhelming. We have a term called ABD <laughs> for folks who do everything. I mean, absolutely everything accept this piece so you're probably wise to focus on uh, birthing this piece into the world yes that's my, my main focus now but that, that's not to say down the road i'm not gonna um i would love to revisit this it, it interests me a lot and i think there could be a lot more done on it yeah it seems without question uh, and you seem to be passionate about it so i'd be surprised if you didn't uh, um, if you didn't return to this sort of work why second year students in particular i think that um, it's easy to find a first year Sanskrit class. If, if you're interested in it, you could learn the basics with either a grammar book or one, a summer course, something like that. When it comes to second year, I don't think it's that, it's not as easy. And I think second year students, second year is so important and it's so hard to find a teacher. And I think that for those students, this, this, is, this will work well for them. But, I, but also I didn't want to write a grammar book I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> so there are so many out there. And I, and I use um, RuPaul's grammar. She, she did a wonderful grammar that I, I really like. And it's, and it's new and exciting. And a lot of people are picking it up and using it. So that's why I, I, use, I use it for my references in, in, the, in the guide. Why am I not surprised that you use hers? Uh, we were chatting just briefly before we started this call about the podcast. And um, I 
was so taken with her book i interviewed her in 2019 when it came out because it seemed so geared towards learning i think i've had her on the podcast a couple more times since and um no she's not paying me anything for the <laughs> teasing of mrs <laughs> i just really value the way in which she approaches sanskrit and her her, her teaching chops in addition to her her grammarian chops and so um I, I, i'm glad that you also see the value in that particular Sanskrit grammar book. Um, I wonder if there are others that you look at or that you would, you think students might wish to draw on? Grammar books for Sanskrit. I use, when I learned Sanskrit, I use, <laughs> I, I learned Sanskrit originally with Dr. Bitzel in the summer program. And I used the uh, really old grammar book, Perry, that was written in uh, pretty much um, ye old English. So I had to learn ye old English and then learn Sanskrit through that. So it was very difficult. So I would not recommend that. But I would recommend Ripples. Um, Whitney's an invaluable resource, but I think it's not a teaching tool, of course. You need to already know what you're doing before you start referencing Whitney for different grammatical things. Um, trying to think of any other grammar books that I really... I use McDonald's Vedic grammar a lot, but I do Vedic stuff. So when you're getting into that, that's like the... A really good but there's Vedic grammar for students and there's Vedic grammar I have both of them invaluable for Vedic studies but um trying to think of any other ones that came out somewhat recently that I heard of can't think of anything right now and I'm going to kick myself after this for not thinking of it oh that's okay I mean there's there's a number they've been on for a while there's um, oh, Goldman. there's what the Goldman exactly right. there's Goldman there's Deshpande there's um um, uh, Coulson, you know, there's a number, obviously, there's no shortage of, of options for students. I like Goldman's too. I think, uh, I think Goldman's can be used in the same way. I really, my, I really like uh, Ruples for this guide though, is because it, it is, Ruples itself is almost a, a, a teaching tool by itself. A student could maybe just go through Ruple by themselves and then jump to my guide afterwards without a teacher. I mean, it's hard, but I would say doable. Fascinating. Is there anything else about the project or really anything at all uh, in your work? Uh, you know, is there anything else you'd like to share before we, or ask before we close today? The only thing I thought of was the Dharma Shastra library. <laughs> we were tell us, tell that. us. I think it's really invaluable and it's always being added to. So if you haven't uh, seen that yet, I would, I would uh, look that up because. Yeah, the, and as I mentioned, there's an interview, um, there's an interview with Don Davis summer 2021, I believe, but in the timeless time of podcast land, that could have been yesterday or uh, 10 minutes from now. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I, I, in terms of my own work, um, I have a few things in the, in the, in the works, um, but um, we'll see if I get any of it published on down the road. <laughs> I think it's, 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 um, I find it, um, I find it a fascinating that in this particular case, it's the seasoned profs uh, who have heard of and been on the podcast, but it's the grad student <laughs> to whom the podcast is new. That's fascinating. That's great. It's great. Well, thank you very much for appearing and talking about this uh, work. Thank you very much for having me again. For those listening, we've been speaking with Michael Feiden, who is a PhD candidate at uh, the University of Texas at Austin. Um, we've been speaking about a, a, a fascinating new online open access tool 
for learning Sanskrit and or appreciating uh, the Valmiki Ramayana. The uh, link is in the podcast notes. Until next time, uh, stay safe, stay sane, keep listening, and keep contemplating the mysteries of Sanskrit grammar. Take care.